Before we begin today's show, I'd like to take a minute to tell you about a new layer to the podcast. I'm now officially on Patreon. Have you ever thought to yourself after listening to an episode of this show, why didn't Derek think to ask that question? I know I certainly have. Then sign up at patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast and you'll get the chance to ask the guest of this show a question. You'll also get early access to episodes and a chance to vote on show topics. And I'd also like to give a special shout out to our patrons, Steve Wise, Josh Shinnewerk, Tim Spivey, and Tanya Richter. Thank you guys so much for your contributions. And again, if you'd like to be a part of our growing community, just head over to patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and today I'm joined by, with not one, but two guests, which is kind of a recurring thing, it seems like. I've gone, I think, six or seven months without having multiple guests on at the same show, and this is the third week in a row, so this is... This is exciting. From 321 Productions, we have Paige McKay and Java Moody. How are you guys doing? Doing great. How are you? Oh, yeah. Awesome to be here. Fantastic. I was actually telling Paige uh, before we started, Java, you were actually on my show years ago, like within the first year of me doing it, when we were at uh, yeah. one of the first Fanaticons back in, I think, 2014. So good, uh, good yeah. to have you back on. Yeah, no, no, it's great to have you back for sure. Ah, oh, feels like a lifetime ago. It was a lot of fun. It's interesting because stuff like that, you know, on one hand it seems like yesterday, but then on another hand you just think of, you know, where you were at that time. You know, I, I know I think of it myself and it's just completely different. So it's, on one hand it seems like yesterday, on another hand it, it seems like an entire lifetime. Yeah. The dream has definitely remained the same and has only grown, but I guess my uh, experience is for sure. My professionalism has definitely gone up since then. Absolutely. So I wanted to just kind of dive right into the conversation here. You guys are the co-founders of 321 Productions. So I'm curious to know, how is it that you guys actually met and how did you guys come up with the idea to start your own production company? <laughs> well, um, Java, I'll tell him how we met, but you got to tell him about the production company then. Um, All right. uh, so me and Java met at school. We went to the University of North Alabama. Java, did you start in 2014 or 15? I guess it would have been right after. Uh, I want to say 15. If not 15, it was late 14. But I want to say 2015. Yeah, we both went into the film program there. And um, we did not, fun fact, we did not get along at all. Um, when we met, uh, but obviously that changed a lot as we kept working together and we kept um, just generally being in the same space and getting to know each other. And then uh, by the time we graduated, uh, it was a sad departure. And then uh, from there, we started the company and I think Java just called me one day and had this idea for, we were called 321 Films at first and it, uh, yeah, Java can tell that story a little bit better probably. Uh, yeah, no, for this part, it's uh, me and me and Paige both wanted to help people and do good. And that's something we both did back in college, all about the growth of other filmmakers, actors, people coming together. 
that was just our sort of our whole thing in school. So yes, we love to create, but it's even something powerful to do good and get others involved with it as well. And so with that concept, it kind of started with wanting to help out actors, help out actors, but get filmmakers together to do it and just kind of start a network from there uh, to really become a powerful force in uh, filmmaking. We all have this sort of same dream, but uh, when the idea sort of started forming, I know myself that I'm, I'm big picture enough and I can get dreamy and forget about details. And that could be for better or for worse sometimes. And so the first person I called uh, was Paige. Uh, and when she said yes, uh, she was in and we made this happen. That's when I knew it was definitely uh, real. Like, OK, we can do this. If Paige is on board, this is not a stupid idea. We, we got this. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it's great to hear that you guys have the actual like right mind frame and are doing it for the right reasons. Because something that you know, I talk about with indie filmmakers on the show is the importance of having the networking and having that strong community around you. Because it's not like Los Angeles where it's like everybody out there wants to be a filmmaker. You know, it's whereas you know where you guys are in Alabama, where I'm at in Florida, where other people might be in Texas or Tennessee or you know, really anywhere it's important to have that that network and those people that you can fall back on and even those who you know may have different talents than you you know you might meet someone who can do something very well that you can't and you work with that person and it, it just makes the whole process better so that's that's great yeah, I'm actually in Nashville, Tennessee. So really, we are um, stretched out between the two of us over the state. Okay, cool. And it, it's it's really crazy to see exactly what you're saying, the networks that we've built in both places, just um, following that dream of inclusivity and um, bringing important stories with strong voices to life. And that's really been, I mean, it just, it has no, um, has no zip code, you know, it can happen anywhere. And so we've been excited to bring it to a lot of places it wasn't before. And uh, we actually started with workshops, uh, doing acting workshops in areas that were um, less likely to have them, more um, underfunded schools and stuff like that. Been That's cool. fantastic. Yeah. That's absolutely fantastic. And it's yeah. cool to hear that, you know, in, in Nashville, there's something like that. Because I, I actually, uh, on my show uh, two weeks ago, I spoke with two filmmakers who were in Memphis who moved from Los Angeles to Memphis and now they've kind of started their networking there. So, and I, I went to Nashville uh, last year on like a little mini vacation and absolutely loved it. So it's good to hear that there's some aspect of filmmaking there. It's growing for sure. So, yeah, uh, and to, oh, to kind of, <laughs> Oh, to kind of tag on what you said about like uh, people working together. I think something beautiful about making, uh, we don't just do movies, obviously stated, that's why we changed the name of productions, but something that's amazing with film that it takes, it takes a village. Like this thing starts off uh, somebody's head and then goes on paper. And you get a, you have to get enough people to believe what's on this paper to put it on the screen for other people to watch. Uh, it's just a whole incredible thing. You got all these different personalities, uh, people just coming together to make this thing happen. And I think making a movie is sort of a small statement of what people can do when they come together. Like when we have a goal, we can make the impossible happen. This was on paper and now it's on a screen affecting potentially millions. Absolutely. No, you, you hit the nail on the head. It takes a village 
to make a film because everyone from, I say this almost ad nauseum on the show, but everyone from the director all the way down to PAs, everyone is a cog in the machine of the film and it takes everyone working together in order for the machine to run. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. So kind of backtracking a little bit farther, what was it that made each of you want to work in film and pursue filmmaking as a career? Uh, Paige, we'll start with you. Um, I've, I've always written stories and I think this is every filmmaker I meet, uh, says starts with, I've always written short stories, but, uh, yeah, I've always written from a very young age, short stories and been drawn to storytelling. And I grew up in um, a small town in Alabama called Locust Fork. That's 1200 people. That's like our high population hit. And, uh, no one did anything like this, um, out there. And so I never knew watching films and watching music videos. I never knew anyone. I knew someone did it, but I never knew people like me would do it. And um, then when I went to college, uh, I found it and it just felt like the right, the most effective way to tell a story, more than novels, more than anything else I could do. It just felt like that was the way to reach people. And it felt like you could tell important stories and impact people in such a massive way. And movies were so important to me um, and they made me feel less alone growing up in a small Southern town that I didn't really fit in. So I wanted to give that to other people. So I do it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my story is a little less awesome than that. Not gonna lie. <laughs> no, uh, how I originally got started in all this, this craziness was I started doing uh, poetry. I uh, started doing poetry because I didn't have, uh, I was my senior year, uh, military kids, so I moved around a lot. So when I got to the new school, my senior year, I didn't know people. So I just wrote a lot. Uh, and then just through writing poetry, I realized how much I love writing, which uh, went segued into plays. Uh, and then when I started writing plays, I loved it. To, like have something on stage and tell your stories to get a, a response from it. To, to have something to say is uh, amazing. Uh, but then from there, somebody just said, hey, you should make a movie. And I was like, I can make a movie. And that's kind of how it started was I can do this. Other people do it. Why, why can't I? And that's just how it was like, I can do this. And it was my first movie was uh, not the greatest. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. It was not the greatest by any means. But I loved it. It was the people that made me love it. All these people, again, all these people sort of coming together. And that is probably my absolute favorite aspect of filmmaking. Uh, we're all coming together to tell a story, and it's an incredible thing. Uh, even more so now, what keeps me in it beyond that is I want to be able to give other people that platform as well. Uh, why don't most people have the mentality of, I can do this? Why is that such a rare thing? There's no set path or guide to becoming a filmmaker. There's no guarantee of huge financial success, but gosh darn, if you want to do it, you shouldn't let anything stop you. And having that simple mentality shift is certainly why I want to keep going and pushing forward so other people can have that as well, no matter what it is they want to do. Don't let anything stop you. I didn't even own a camera when I said I wanted to make a movie and things fell into place. You got to want it and you got to believe in it. No, I I could not agree more. I agree with you in the sense that the collaboration between everyone, because you might meet people who you never would have met previously. You yeah. know, if you guys weren't on a set together and they might have, 
you know, completely different beliefs. They might come from a completely different culture, but it's everyone coming together to form that one common goal. And that, and that's, you know, ultimately what camaraderie is all about. And I think filmmaking is a, a great avenue for that. And, you know, you mentioning having the different avenues and not having a set path. One of the benefits of having technology, what we do now is, you know, you can make a film on your phone if you really wanted to. So that, and that's, that's the beauty of it is that you can, if you want to make it happen, then you make it happen. So it's, it's absolutely 100% accurate. So once, uh, once you guys, you know, uh, contacted each other and you decided, you know, you're going to work together and create this production company from there, you guys started the mountain tales film festival. How did that come about? So that one was actually um, within, I would say, the first month of us actually becoming a festival or becoming a, a company, Java said to me that he wanted to do a film festival. And that was like this big dream of his. And I immediately knew like Java isn't a person that asks for a lot um, of people. And when he told me that, I just was I knew I was like, that's what we're going to have it. Then we're going to do it because I can plan an event all day. Uh, to me, that's a lot easier than running a film set. So I was like, let's let's do that. Um, so yeah, from there, I had been in a lot of film festivals, not a lot. I've been in some film festivals and job had been in a few. And something that we noticed is just when you're in a film festival, it's always the, the film, no matter the story, no matter the substance, it's going to be the prettiest film is going to get in, even if that film isn't saying anything. And we wanted to change that. And so we, we started the Mountain Tales with that in mind of we want to tell stories. We want to elevate stories that even if they're not the most visually beautiful masterpiece with a, you know, like epic red camera, but have something to say, something important and have a strong voice. We want to show those. We want to showcase those. So we started taking film submissions and we got 163 last year. And we just picked 23 based on things like the Bechdel test, which if you guys don't know is, is a test for every film where you can, um, you can measure the amount of inclusivity it has for women based on um, diversity of characters, based on the strength of a story, based on just those things. Um, and yeah, it was a lot of fighting and uh, <laughs> tooth and nail of convincing a lot of people that it was a good idea in a town where um, they hadn't done anything like that before. But it was amazing. It was very much worth it. Job, I hope I told that well. No, you did. You told it very well. Uh, uh, yeah, I agree. It definitely was a fight to get it going. And we really did want to bring something. Uh, we we want to do something that was able to give everybody a chance and a voice, uh, provide a platform, uh, provide a platform that all these diverse stories under would have a chance. Yes, I have nothing more to add beyond that. No, that's 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 fantastic. It had to have been tough. You said you had what over a hundred and fifty submissions, and you narrowed it down to twenty three. That had to have been tough. Yeah, yeah, it was. We had a really dedicated team of um, screeners. <laughs> so I, I think we, I know, I think I, I know, I watched every film that came through, um, but none of them were over. I think twelve minutes last year is where we kept them to. So it wasn't it wasn't too much, but yeah, it was it was a lot of films. No yeah, easy had, decisions. 
I had the opportunity to be a judge for the, or I guess on the selection committee would be the more technical term, for the Pensacon Film Festival this past year. It was my first time ever doing anything like that. And yeah, it was it was tough because there were a lot of really good movies. And unfortunately, you know, they all couldn't make the cut. But it, it, it was a cool experience to to be a part of. So um, talk to me about the, the logistics of putting on a film festival. You know, you get all the submissions. Then do you secure a location, get a selection committee? Like walk me through the process of getting a film festival put together. Um, a lot of sleepless nights. <laughs> that um, I would say, like it's it's much like becoming a filmmaker, where there is no direct line to what works. You know, it's a lot of we were talking before we we came on, and it's a lot of uh, putting out fires and answering emails and and calls until one day you're just you wake up and it's the day of the festival, and you're like, okay, we got here. And then uh, yeah, so that was a lot of it, but. What we did was um, the first thing we had to do was convince um, the city we were doing it in that we we could do it and that it was a good idea. Um, I I secured a location before I did anything. I didn't even start taking submissions. Uh, but I mean, everyone's different. Next year, I think we'll probably have to do it differently because of COVID. Um, but I had a location secured and was finding, I had a screening committee and then I started taking submissions. And from there, typically what we would do is a wave kind of format of judging. So like I would give everyone the first like group of submissions and then we would still be getting submissions in. We would just judge every, you know, like a new group of submissions every week and kind of look through them. And at the end, you just look through and see what has the highest scores and you ask your judges, you know, is there anything here that we went through all of them like on a Zoom call together? And I just ask, is there anything here that we didn't talk about that you want to fight for that maybe you think should be in there, even though maybe we didn't think it should be, and we go through them. But yeah, securing locations, securing equipment, securing screens, securing projectors. Uh, we had musical guests during the day, so getting all that set up, getting everyone's hotel set up, getting um, tickets sold. We didn't do tickets last year, but we did have sponsorships. So getting all of that, um, getting food, getting vendors, getting food trucks there, uh, stages, just yeah, merch, um, you name it. It was it was interesting. Filmmakers flown in, all of it. Well, that's the cool uh, thing about yeah. Festivals. And yeah, go ahead. go ahead, Java. No, I was gonna say I was gonna say to add to that. Uh, anyone that would want to start a festival, I'll say first and foremost, don't do it because you're a fan of festivals or it's a hobby. You gotta you better believe in what you're doing. So that's first and foremost, because once you get that, as the days go on, it gets old real quick. So you have to believe in what it is you're doing. Uh, oh, also, side note, it's cool you're at Pentacon. I was there teaching an acting workshop. I didn't know you were there. That's really cool. Yeah. But uh, other thing I would say when it comes to making a film festival, you better, you better have uh, finances or you better have relationships. Or a good combination of both, because it's just another thing that takes a village. I called in so many favors uh, from different people that were just, that were down to help out. They love what we were doing. Like people who just didn't have to help us did, and that was incredible. The acts were able to line up. The music that was played it was a it was an amazing sight to behold. It was definitely the thing that we did in three, two, one. 
I'm glad we continue to do, but seeing it all to come together and how like that festival was much bigger than the the small town we're in. It was just a uh, uh, incredible experience and a incredible thing to behold, and kind of cemented the belief of you know anything really is possible if we can do something on this scale. What can't we do? Yeah, it's it's got to be rewarding when you see you know, not just the hard work that you guys put in to making it happen, but then when you get other people on board who also believe what you believe, because it's the same thing with working on a set and getting a crew together, especially with, you know, passion projects and short films, getting your crew or your cast to also believe like you do in the project is a feeling like no other. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's uh, it's yeah. And I would say even our panelists, you know, it was just getting so many volunteers there. And even we've done other events since to do with the mountain tails. We've had a big scavenger hunt at Fanaticon last year and the amount of people that took um, being willing to dress up in really strange costumes uh, was amazing. So it's it's really rewarding. No, and, and I love the whole film festival process, you know, it's something that's still relatively new to me, but I love, you know, watching everyone's films and then hearing the Q and A's from the filmmakers afterwards, getting that kind of like behind the scenes process. And, you know, as, as someone who's been on both sides of it, getting to hear, getting to hear the stories and then getting to tell them too is, is a really, really cool thing. You know, anybody who hasn't been to a film festival, even if you're not a huge filmmaker, you should give your do yourself a favor and go to one because you you get a new appreciation for it i think it's truly an incredible experience um i mean i've helped organize uh this i think is the third festival i've helped organize uh, organize in general but it's just been amazing and i've been to a lot of them and it's just it's never boring i never regret it absolutely and he, you know a funny story I, I don't know if i've told this story on the podcast but um, my movie got accepted into the Tampa Underground Film Festival at the end of last year. But I, I, it was a three or four day festival, but I could only make it the one day because my movie was showing that Sunday. So I woke up early that morning, drove to Tampa, stayed for like the last five or six hours of the festival, checked into my hotel and then drove back home the next day. But even that one day was worth it because, you know, you get to see some really cool stuff. Yeah, it's it, it's stuff that you won't see anywhere else, you know, and that's, that's what's so cool about it is no one would see, you know, like um, we have one, it's a documentary from uh, Palace, Palestinian, Palestine. Sorry, my brain just broke. Palestinian, Palestinian filmmaker from Palestine. Um, and it's just this documentary about where they live and, and the fact that they have this valley that's getting... Um, the government is like not taking care of and it, it's getting corrupted and polluted. And you would never see that if you were just going to the theaters, you know, it's not going to be there. It's maybe 15 minutes long, but it's so beautiful and moving and amazing. And that's the kind of stuff you get at a festival. You get those stories. Yeah. I've been on a pretty big documentary kick lately and <laughs> you know, hearing stories like that. And that's what's so fascinating about that genre is that when you watch it, you realize, holy crap, this is real. Like, this actually happened. And like you said, you don't really get to see them. You know, I mean, Netflix, I know, does some, and you find some on other streaming platforms. But really, you, you, get, your, you get your documentary fix at festivals. 
Oh yeah. And they're amazing. You know, I, I got so wrapped into this culture of this one small town that I just would have never heard of any, like any other way. And I was just so, I still think about that town and I'm just so wrapped into it. And it's just a small little documentary this guy made on his own. He doesn't have a big company or anything. And it's just, and we have a lot of documentaries like that. We have one from Montana about um, canoe making. It's amazing. And he talks about the environment. I have, I think I got the issue with naming your festival, the Mountain Tales Film Festival and not being anything about mountains is when you open it up for documentaries, you get a lot of documentaries about mountains. I wasn't ready for that. Um, so I think I have three documentaries about mountains this year. So what, what was the inspiration behind the name? Um, so we actually had a professor in college named uh, Jason Pangalinen. Hey, Java. Um, named Jason Pangalinen. And he sat me and Java down one day and he was talking to us about some struggles we were going through with, um, you know, what do we want to do in film? Is this right for us? And he said to us, each of us is climbing a mountain. And when you get to the top, you have to decide, are you there to see or are you there to be seen? And so um, after that, we decided that we were there to see. And that's just to see perspectives, to see other people, to see their stories, to see new worlds. And um, we want to help people to be seen like that. To, we want to help other people to see those stories. That's where it came from. Yeah. Uh, when I when I first heard that, so he was telling that speech to both of us. Uh, I actually was having an ego trip when I first heard that speech. Uh, and it was a great thing to put me in check. We had went to this film festival and we didn't win. Oh, yeah. It was like a, a 48 hour competition we had to do, which was awesome. We got like, we bonded, learned like personalities all came together. It was cool, but we lost. And I remember I was ranting and raving in my uh, professor's office saying like, no, we should have won. Oh, they, they made a mistake. You know, because I'm such a great filmmaker starting out in college. We should have won. But anyway, no, uh, he, our professor, uh, that's when he said, it doesn't sound like it's a festival problem. It sounds like you have a Java problem. And it sounds like an ego issue. And he said, there's two kinds of filmmakers. And do you climb the mountain to see or to be seen? And uh, so that's when I first got slapped in the face with that. I like that. But it's good to have someone who, you, because everyone at some point has to have their ego put in check. You know, I know yes. I'm certainly guilty of it too. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Jason doesn't let us have egos. I don't. We don't <laughs> he is good at keeping us in check. If he ever watches this, he is great at it. He, uh, well, there's a, t-shirt i bought a few weeks ago and it just simply says on the front it's a black shirt with white writing on it and it simply says ego kills talent and it's something that i i swear by it's from a i think the website's called beverly kills or something like that but it's uh i saw that shirt and i'm like i have to get it because it's just so true that's deep. so good <laughs> so talk to me about because you know Paige, you and I were talking um, before we started the switch from an in-person festival to going virtual due to COVID, which a lot of festivals have been doing. Um, what are some of the the struggles and things that you guys have gone through in order to make that transition? I would definitely say the biggest struggle was finding a platform for that um, that worked for us. And it took a long time. We're working through a, a platform called festive with two e's 
And um, it's kind of an all-in-one startup and, and it's been really good for us. But uh, that was the biggest issue, you know, um, wanting, like still wanting to give it to everyone, but trying to figure out how do you bring it to everyone. And uh, so hopefully this works out, but also just getting people excited, I will say is so hard. Getting someone excited to just log in for two hours and watch some short films from people they've never heard of. Ooh, um, that has been hard uh, to and I, I hope I hope people are getting excited. I hope they want to come. I promise it's we have 19 films in there, all just beyond the word incredible. But um, that's been a real struggle. And just paring yourself down, um, figuring out like we can't have music performances anymore. Panels aren't really going to make sense for us this year. Workshops aren't really a thing that we're going to be able to do. Um, so kind of figuring out what's your priority. And our priority is safety for our community and our team and our filmmakers. And I highly recommend everybody running a festival. Check out Festive. Please don't have it in person. That's three, two, one stance. <laughs> and it, I've never actually heard of that platform before. You said it was called Festive? Yeah, two E's. And it's run by a guy that actually um, has been running film festivals for a long time. And he's a a great person. We've had a lot of meetings one-on-one -on -one with him, with just the owner of the entire company. It's been a really great experience. I'll have to bring that up to to other you know, festival runners that I know, because I know with you know Pensacon's been doing, as I mentioned earlier, their film festival. Pensacon isn't until February, so depending on yeah, hopefully <laughs> by then we'll be back to whatever their will be settled into this, whatever the new normal is. Cause I've been preaching this on the show too, is that I don't think what we knew before COVID isn't going to happen anymore. Like this is kind of a new nine 11 where things changed after nine 11. I think things are going to change permanently to some degree because of COVID. Yeah. But I mean, I've heard a lot from other festival runners about um, certain film festivals have like the Chattanooga film festival. Um, they actually made more money this year than they've ever made, and they're probably going to stay virtual from now on. And But I've heard other festivals, which I won't mention their names, um, privately might be going under because their entire pool was the networking in person. It's like if, that, if that's your whole entire um, pool for people, then right now you're kind of out of luck, you know, out, out of luck, you know. So what are you going to say, Java? Sorry to interrupt you. Okay, cool. I had nothing. <laughs> Well, you just think about it, you know, if you're if you're into film, what could be better than sitting on your couch watching two hours worth of short films? That's what I'm saying. That, that, that's the hope for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's my point. I don't know if you guys have seen that Portlandia episode where they want to go to a music festival, but they don't want to leave their house. So they wear these big robot heads and like do drones. I'm trying to make people understand that's what we're giving you now. It's a reality. It is part of the new norm. You mentioning music, I think I saw a note too long ago. It might have been somewhere over in England, but they have these um, like small metal stages that sit like four to six people, and they're all spaced. And this is all outdoors, all spaced, you know, six feet apart to adhere to guidelines. And then you have the stage set up in front of them, so it's like a social distance concert. So, yeah, I, I've seen a couple of things like that. I've seen the plastic bubbles too, which I'm a big fan of, like the igloos. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't mind just running around in a plastic bubble. But yeah, that would be really interesting. I don't know if I trust anybody right now. 
enough in America to do something like that. But I hope we get to a point where we can do that. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Come on, guys. Wear your masks. Yeah. <laughs> so as we start to wrap up here, I always like to, to end on these questions. But throughout your time working together, running 321 Productions and having the film festival, what have been some of the biggest lessons that you each have learned throughout your whole journey? I'll let you take you got We'll start with you. <laughs> Ooh, lessons learned. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find a word without something contradictory. Uh, man, running a, a, running a business has different seasons for different things. Uh, and it's good to be aware of that. I think uh, a phrase that's used a lot is you got to do the have to before you do the want to. And I'm very, uh, I take that phrase with a grain of salt because I think everyone understands they have to work if they want to eat, but you don't want to be a, in a perpetual state of have to where you're not doing anything you don't want to do. So with that said, well, I mean, for the business, for sure, there's a lot of things you have to do. You have to get your website in order. You have to make sure all your accounts look professional. Uh, you have to get out there and meet people and make connections. Uh, you have to put out uh, content, uh, for better or worse. There's the, the things you, ju you just have to do. You have to get things organized. Uh, but at a certain point, you have to go into a season of doing things that you just want to do. Because you run the business. Don't let the business run you. Uh, so it's good to go back to your roots of, okay, this is why I started this. I want to start doing this again. Uh, so it's a weird balance. There's going to be a time where you have to go back to the have tos as you evolve and get to the next step. So you can fall back again on those want tos. I would definitely tell anyone, be prepared to change up your tempo. I, I'm laid back. I don't like dealing with stress. It's not my thing. I actively will put my schedule around of like, this can be done tomorrow, but I get this done today. I work my schedule so by a certain time of night, I can do whatever I want. I believe your mornings or your nights, you've got to pick one of those are yours. So I would definitely say be prepared uh, to be flexible in that. There's times where you just have to, you just got, again, I have to, you just have to pull on nighters. There's times you have to miss the gym. There's times you have to do things you don't want to do. But again, it's find that balance to go back to what you want to do. It's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. But I mean, I think they should get the same advice to YouTubers. Don't do with YouTubers. Don't do it for the subscribers. Do it with what you want to do. And that kind of rings true with the, one of the very first things I did when starting this business. I talked to a bunch of business owners from financial managers to martial arts studio instructors, everything in between. And they said the same thing. Do what you love and the money will come. That has been the number one advice each of them has given. So with our company, make sure it's what you love. I think a lot of people throw in your face. It's not your hobby. It's your business. Yes. You have to treat it like a business, but make sure you're doing what you love. Cause that's, what's going to keep you going at the end of the day. And if you work with people that you love even better. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Uh, definitely lessons I've had to learn because I'm the opposite of Java where if I could get everything done today, I will, I will do every single thing on the list and then I'll make a new one for tomorrow. Um, but that's, that's an, that's an issue of this is like you were saying, the societal grooming of, um, be on that grind constantly with, which is a toxic environment and mindset. And Java's definitely had to like 
make me slow down because I will overwork and burn out. And uh, so, but I think the biggest thing I've learned is your team is everything. You know, um, Anna Winter says that she is like the editor for Vogue. And she's, I mean, it's so true. Um, your team is going to have, if you, if you build a team based on people that are going to say yes to you and agree with you, you're never going to get anything done. Uh, I, I like to have people on my team who will absolutely tell me they think I'm wrong. And uh, I, I appreciate that more than anything. Me and Java are completely different in a lot of ways. And, and we balance each other out where I don't really like going out and talking to people, but he is so good at it. I always joke that people like if Java asked for a million dollars, like someone would give him at least as close as they could. They would give him everything they had because people just love him. It's crazy. But uh, I don't mind doing, you know, mountains of paperwork, so uh, which he, he hates. So it's been a good give and take like that. But also to stay true to yourself. It's a business. You know, we speak on political things. Um, we speak on things we believe in. We always have from day one. And I could not count how many times we have been told that that was a big misstep, that we're going to ruin the company, that no one will ever work with us, that everything we do will fail because we speak out on LGBTQ rights and women's rights and diversity and Black Lives Matter and against, you know, things that we don't believe in. And, um, you know, but at the end of the day, kind of goes into doing what you what you believe in. And I think if you stay true to who you are, that's what brings people in. I think if you do what you what you love and what you know is right, that's what's going to be best. And it's going to it's what's going to take you further. So stick to your guns. That's it. I'm going to take this last like five minutes and I can post it as its own separate thing. That was great. You guys have got <laughs> me amped to just go out and take on the world as soon as we finish the show. Do it. I love it. That's fantastic. So um, that being said, um, where can people find uh, 321 Productions and when is uh, the Mountain Tales Film Festival and how can people watch it? Mountain Tales Film Festival is October 3rd and 4th. Um, it, we're going to have like more more distinguished times coming up, but it'll be in the afternoon, probably after about five o'clock for anybody getting off work. Um, we will have live table reads and we will be screening the films. There will be chat rooms for you to talk to everyone while you're doing it. And we'll have Q&As with the directors of some of the films. Um, you can find it at mountaintalesfilmfestival.com. Get your tickets and see the entire lineup there. Um, you can also find us at 321PRODS on Instagram and 321Productions on um, Facebook, where we do live table reads of screenplays from all over um, with an incredible cast every Saturday. So that's it. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to do this chat. It was great. And I look forward yeah. to, to seeing what comes of the Mountain Tales Film Festival. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we look forward to seeing everybody there. Um, yeah, thank you so much for having us. We hope you're there. No, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and in closing, if you guys want to follow me on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. You can subscribe to the show on all podcasting platforms. Uh, you can also follow me on Patreon at patreon.com slash D Diamond Podcast. And of course, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can check out all their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's show. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. 
Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday.